we have three readings today, which I know was a lot. So we're going to walk through them slowly and we'll allow some time after to just contemplate. Um, I'm always fascinated by the lectionary. Sometimes we see the verses chosen and I wonder how did they choose these three? And sometimes I, I think that and then as I study them, I realize, oh, I know exactly why they chose these three. And uh, I was particularly touched by these. So I'm going to read them in this order and allow some time um, after for us to just sit and contemplate for a moment what was said, and then we'll move on to the next one. Is that okay? Uh, let us pray yeah, to receive. Lord, I just open us up. Your word is a source of sustenance, of truth, of joy. Help us to open ourselves no matter what it is we're carrying, no matter what else is on our plate, what we're planning for the rest of the day, or what we're still haunted by from days past. Help us to just receive your word and receive the life found within. Amen. Amen. Our first reading comes from First uh, John, an epistle, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. It is written, Dear friends, let's love each other, because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God, because God is love. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent His only Son into the world so that we can live through Him. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us, and His love is made perfect in us. This is how we know we remain in Him, and He remains in us, because He has given us a measure of His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If any of us confess that Jesus is God's Son, God remains in us, and we remain in God. We have known and have believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. This is how love has been perfected in us, so that we can have confidence on the judgment day, because we are exactly the same as God, in this, as God is in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. After all, those who don't love their brothers or sisters whom they have seen can hardly love God whom they have not seen. This commandment we have from him. Those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Our second reading comes from Acts chapter 8. And something to know that's not written in the passage but would have been understood by the readers is that there's a eunuch in here. And because a eunuch um, is what a eunuch is, they're not allowed to enter the temple. They're unclean. And so we'll hear of this eunuch having gone to worship at the temple and is now on his way home, knowing he would not have been welcomed in the temple. He would have traveled all that way only to be turned away. So we'll keep that as we read. Verses 26 through 40. An angel from the Lord spoke to Philip. At noon, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage. The spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. Running up to the carriage, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asked, Do you really understand what you are reading? The man replied, Without someone to guide me, how could I? Then he invited Philip to climb up and sit with him. This was the passage of scripture he was reading. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me about whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water. What would keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the carriage halt. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Lord's Spirit suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus. He traveled through the, that area preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. The word of God for the people of God. Our gospel reading comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. He removes any of my branches that don't produce fruit, and he trims any branch that produces fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. You are already trimmed because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch can't produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. Without me, you can't do anything. If you don't remain in me, you will be like a branch that is thrown out and dries up. Those branches are gathered up thrown into a fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified when you produce much fruit and in this way prove that you are 
my disciples. The word of God for the people of God. Please pray with me and please pray for me. Lord, I thank you for this this space that we can come and gather and, and receive refuge from the busyness and the craziness of our lives, that we can come and encounter you and each other, we can read your word and contemplate and pray and just be in a place where we know that everything we are receiving is for life in abundance, that you are a God who wishes to nurture us. And so I ask that you do that now. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be a source of holy nurturing in this time. May they be pleasing to you because you alone are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Christ is risen. It's still Easter. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. Have you ever worked with a vine or a rose bush? which we, we learned Pam works with roses. Anyone else work with a vine or a rose bush? A little bit? Yeah, Matt does. Uh, probably mostly when they're out of control, right? Yeah. Uh, I have not, but what I've learned about the process is, is it's, uh, it's a lot of work, uh, more or less. And you're going to get scraped up, and it's, uh, it's not glorified work by any means. And it's, it's really all about pruning, right? Cutting and removing that's really how you nurture something to life is by cutting stuff off and removing it. That's a little backwards when you say it just like that, isn't it? But you have to have a clear vision when you're cutting and removing. Otherwise, you could kill it. And we see this grand image given to us um, about Jesus as the vine and God as the vineyard worker or the, the viner. We were trying to figure out what's the right term, the farmer, the gardener. If you let a bush or a rose bush or a vine grow on its own, what happens? It grows everywhere, right? There's no control, and it will find anywhere it wants to go, and before long, it can actually cut itself off from life. So the rose bush, you want it to grow outward, but if it's just allowed to grow, it'll grow inward and over top of itself and actually choke itself off from the sunlight that it needs. So you have, to, you have to have a vision, you have to understand what you're looking at, and you have to have a willingness to get in there. And we find no greater news than God willing to get into our lives with a pruning knife, to have a vision, and to work us toward life, yes? Us as individuals, but more importantly, us as a church, as the body of Christ. Because we're all part of the vine, aren't we? And an unattended bush, rose bush, We'll still produce roses, but they're not going to be ones you're going to want to give to anybody. They aren't going to be ones that you're going to want to celebrate. They're wild roses. If you can do a rose bush correctly, it's going to have less roses, but the roses it produces will be more beautiful. This is an image I want you to keep in mind as we think through what Jesus is trying to say to the disciples. Um, The entire plant's going to go through transformation again and again every time the pruner comes with the knife. And we celebrate this, yes? People love rose bushes, and it requires a lot of work and a lot of scratches and blood and sweat. Um, And it's the same with the church, is it not? We love the church, but it requires a lot of blood and sweat, and you're going to get scratched along the way, but it's worth it. And it's interesting, and I didn't ask Pam this, 
But I, I, I hear people that grow roses and they develop a relationship with the rose bush. They love their rose bush. It becomes a source of pride. It becomes a source of joy. The, the relationship of the work, despite the scratches, it's, I mean, that makes sense, right? With the church, we love the church even when we've been scratched. Maybe even more so because we've been scratched. Maybe our wounds somehow bring us into life. Love. It's such a tricky word. We heard it about 25 times today in Scripture, didn't we? Love. Um, and if you're like me, you're kind of, you, you, I got this lodged from what, what's, what's it talking about exactly? Love. I can only pull from what I know. Love. I have a love for candy. Anybody else? I have a love for friends, but they're not the same, love. I have a love for parents. I have a love for a partner, right? We use love for all sorts of different things, and we even use the term making love, but that's not the same as love for candy or friends or parents or partners. They're all different, and yet we use the same word. I can see where we get a little confused, where we can hear the word love and maybe be on totally different pages of what John is talking about when John's talking about love. So, he says God is love. Okay, if you chose any one of those kinds of love, you could have a very interesting relationship with God, can't you? And sometimes we do. We, we try to define God through what we understand rather than trying to understand what God wants to tell us. Does that make sense? So we may say, if we're using the us-to-God love comparison, well, I'm going to take what I know and apply it to God, then we might say that, you know, I, when I was a teenager, I really loved girls, right? And if I love girls and now I love God, I'm going to get a pretty mixed-up kind of image of what love with God looks like, yes? Or... And I might say things, and we heard it, we've said it, and I chose that image on purpose because we say, I want to fall in love with God. And you hear people using this very romantic language with God, right? You've heard this, even celebrated. Is there anything wrong with that? Is it all-encompassing? No. But we're just trying to understand. What do I, let's think of candy or cheesecake. Anybody love cheesecake? Mmm, I love Cheesecake. Would you ever say, mmm, God is so good? What about your parents? God loves me, but I better not step out of line or I'm going to get punished. The kind of love you have with your parents, and we apply it to God. Does that mean that's all encompassing of what God's love is and what God is as love? You see where we can get mixed up? Or maybe your last one, you, you want to be friends with God. Jesus is my BFF, my best friend forever. Because I love my best friends and I love Jesus and that must be what we're talking about. That's what happens when we go from the us to God love comparison. But what if we saw it as a God to us love comparison? Instead of thinking how it is we understand love in our world, what if we understand the way that God loves in the world and then took that on? We heard in the Scripture it said, God's love was revealed among us in this way. And here it is. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if we look at it that way, God says, I love you, even though you all are messed up. <laughs> yeah? 
and I'm going to take care of anything, any guilt you have, I'm going to take care of. I'm going to send my son, who's a piece of myself, who is going to be crucified, who's going to be killed, who's going to be buried. And I'm doing that for you. You don't even know that I'm doing it for you, but I'm, all, I'm so in love with you that I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to bring him to life and invite you into that life that's only brought through him because I love you that much. That is a love far beyond cheesecake and best friends. We see love then as one of self-giving. Reed's giving me the amen back there. God loved us first, yes? Before we ever even knew of God's love. We call this provenient grace. And Jesus was given out of God's own self just so we could have life in Him, just for our benefit, our benefit alone. We tend to make a mess of things, like a bush. If I go unattended, I'm going to start growing in on myself. And I'm going to cut myself off from the things I need. Uh, We get caught up in what we think and feel at any given moment to the point where all of a sudden things are a mess. And God says, duh. Yeah. Real life comes from God alone. And real life comes from accepting the invitation to grow into the kind of love that God has. Not the kind of love that we know and try to apply to God, but the kind of love that God has and tries to apply to us. So what does this look like? I'm not going to leave you hanging. That's the question. What does it look like to love? So I have three things I want us to think through. Um, We know that Jesus is the real vine. Yes? Only through Jesus can we be connected to real life as it was intended to be lived with fullness, as John calls it, fullness of life. We can remember that. One, one thing there. I've got two more. If we can remember that, we're going to be led into a life of fullness, of direction. God will see where it is we need to grow. We'll actually find joy and passion in life, the kind of life that makes us say things like, I feel alive. Something beyond a heartbeat. We'll feel joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Jesus is the vine. We cannot find life from anything else. Two, if we remain faithful to the body of Christ in the church, because we are the body of Christ, we find the vine present in the church, and we need each other. You cannot go at this alone. If you remove yourself from the vine, what happens? You wither, you die. Now, we believe in life of the resurrected, so there's always hope, but you cannot be a part of the vine unless you're part of the vine. We need Scripture. We need to sing and we need to praise. We need to pray and we need to connect with one another. We do that. We share and encourage one another and we correct one another. Sometimes we've got to pull the pruning knife out for one another, don't we? Is it any fun? Is there anything more we would really want from each other? No, we, we want to grow, don't we? We want to produce more fruit. We want to have more fruitful lives, and so we, we need each other. Jesus is the true vine. The church is where we find the vine. And finally, we need to know that the Holy Spirit works within us to guide us, and to most importantly, remind us of God's love. 
that we are loved, that we are worthy, that everything God has is, is, is ours already. We've always been with God to help us discern that we might allow the pruner to do the work that needs to be done, to grow outwardly toward others instead of becoming an inward mess, to be disciplined in our faith, and to not be fearful. I want to spend a moment on fear, because I think fear gets abused in our, in our faith. Fear in flesh keeps us safe, right? Fear is what, when I stood on the, the mount of my grandparents' barn and looked down, fear is what kept me from jumping off. Fear said, don't do it. Fear is a good thing. And in the flesh, it keeps me safe. In the spirit, fear can be misused. Fear stops at reverence. We revere God. Fear is what helps us know that God is our ruler. God is the vineyard keeper. God is our pruner. And don't let fear go beyond there. God sees our lives like the grower sees the bush. God knows what needs to be cut and what needs to be pruned. But don't fear what God's doing in your life. God wants to lead you to life because God loves you, because God is love. So don't fear beyond the reverence. God wants to see us grow into abundant fruitfulness, wants the church to grow deeper in love with God and one another. Fear is loveless. And love is fearless. John writes, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. Punishment's a good thing, you know. It's that pruning. So we have this image of Philip approaching the Ethiopian eunuch, and I'm guessing with some fear in his heart. His whole life he'd been taught, eunuchs don't belong. Don't include outsiders. And the Spirit says, go, go to that chariot, that wagon, go to that eunuch. Go to that person that was turned away from the temple. Go to them. And so Philip goes. And then the eunuch says, there's water. What's to stop me from being baptized? And Philip had to kind of, life kind of did this halt. Talking to you is one thing. Bringing you in as an insider my whole life I've been taught not to do that. But God's asking me to grow. I'm going to have to prune some things that would have stopped me before to do what God is leading me to do. And He allowed it. He bore fruit for the glory of God. Amen? There is a long history of people in this world who have been considered outsiders. And we've given them different categories and names across time. From one generation to the next, it's a different group. There's always an outsider. And we're called to grow outwardly, to bear fruit, to not be afraid, to love them first because God loves us first because that's how love, true love, works.
to grow deeper into the love of God and to cast out the fear which keeps you from growing. God prunes us. That's the good news. God prunes us to grow into a life of love if we only allow God to. So cast out your fear and seek the love of God as revealed through Jesus Christ, who is the vine. Recommit yourself to the faith of of discipline out of love towards God, trusting that through faith in Jesus Christ, you will receive fullness of life. This is our promise. And you'll receive it here, and you'll receive it now, and you'll receive it forevermore. Amen? Amen. Thank you.